Welcome to We've Been Watching with Claire Woodward and David Stevenson. You might have missed us. We've been we've been absent for two weeks, and I was only prodded oh. by a super fan called Dan, who said, "Where's the podcast?" So, I can't Dan, we're it. back. We're back not just for you, but for everybody else. Well, I think everybody else. How are you, Claire? Very good. I'm. I'm. I'm now going to know. Call him Dan. Dan, the super fan. That's fabulous. A super fan. We've got one. I love it. Absolutely, I'm super fan and, and counting. So this week, being an interesting, we won't do two weeks, we'll do the past week. It's been quite an interesting week, Will, really. A new BBC drama on BBC One, Pursuit of Love. Gods of Snooker on BBC Two on Sunday night. Motherland on BBC Two on Monday night. This show is not sponsored by BBC Two, by the way. <laughs> they haven't got the money, have they? Yeah, inside number nine. BBC Two on Monday, and um, oh, and poor old ITV. We've got ITV in there as well with the Brit Awards. Uh, a comeback for the Brit Awards on the Tuesday. So, Pursuit of Love. I was really looking forward to this, but I was, um, I was a bit, little bit let down as well. What did you think of it? I feel the same way. I sort of, I always have problems with these dramas that are clearly set in a period, but use contemporary music I just think why not why not bring it up to why not bring it up to date in the first place and after three quarters of an hour I just thought I, I'm out on this one I didn't feel I didn't feel connected to it really no um, it was just I didn't either I didn't either I think the characters didn't help because it, the whole thing seems to be about oh where the toffs we're just lazing around in a stately pile I mean we sort of know that and yeah, we're dissolute and we're not really doing anything so to be a likable character, it's really got to fight through that, hasn't it? And no one really came through that I thought, oh, gosh, I'm really interested in what happens to this person. Yeah, there's nobody you can root for. And I mean, I have to say, I've not read any of Nancy Mitford's books. And I know there's been a lot of talk on social media about how they are more uh, involving and probably more emotional. Um, but this just didn't really connect. It was just unlikable, posh people um having a having a super time and you know no not not for me I have to say very glossy and very glam and when Andrew Scott comes into it immediately it comes to light yeah absolutely um, he, he was terrific and so was Freddie Fox actually I thought for, uh, Freddie Fox someone who really knows his way around a big house I thought really he looked <laughs> he looked he looked well at home and also Dominic West I enjoyed I mean what was bizarre for me was I found more sympathy and affinity with you know uh, Dominic West's uncle Matthew who was a bit of a casual racist wasn't he you know once a hun always a hun and you know day goes and the lot yes with his spectacular hun killing device on the wall and things like that I mean you know, at least you felt something for him he's a comedy character but I mean it was interesting what you say about Freddie Fox because I think um Emily Mortimer who directed it and wrote it said she cast all her friends in it which got my back up a little bit you know given that um you know the BBC is all about involved you know involvement and inclusion now the fact it had lots of very posh dynasties in it kind of got my back up even before I switched on yeah but that's because I'm just a chippy lefty yeah, but, um... not good is it because <laughs> we're, you know diversity is all about is all around us at the moment and that's very good in some respects and so you expect it to go across the board you don't expect to have a lot a little coterie of your favoured friends and their friends and, and some of them completely miscast I mean the two mothers 
were were too young to be mothers. I mean, I know things happen, but not so much in the aristocracy for for children to be born that young. But um, that was that was weird as well. I mean, and the other thing about it was the tone. Everybody looked incredibly self-satisfied. I mean, they were. It's another one of those things where the cast is having a fantastic time, with the poor old viewers sitting there going, "What's all this about?" Absolutely. I think the word smug was meant for this series, wasn't it? Um, everyone was incredibly self-satisfied. You could almost hear, you know, the sort of producers and directors purring with delight as well. Um, and I mean, it's, it's a story that people are continually fascinated with. You know, the Mitfords are, are continually interesting, but I don't think the story of upper-class romance is particularly involving anymore. You know, I think there are better more contemporary stories to be told in that slot you know like the sort of Steve McQueen plays that were on you know they were they were superb works about modern Britain which had all the diversity in and they were still involving and also they were telling us stories that we didn't really know before whereas this is just posh girls on horses what yeah and in linen covers, I thought, my God, fussing around in a linen cupboard. That was the scene that really wound me up. I mean, God, the linen press, just unbelievable. But the other thing I thought was we're seeing this sort of drama through the lens now of Bridgerton and what when what Bridgerton did to the period drama, the, you know, retaking a, re, taking a period, redoing it, um, you know, with this incredible palette of colours, uh, a totally diverse cast, and you're saying, my gosh, look at the energy that that production has. I mean, it was lacking a bit of plot for about five episodes. Then everybody started having sex and everybody's like, God, this vision is amazing. But you know, all right, putting putting the sex and the structure of the narrative aside, um, it made it made Pursuit of Love look quite pale by comparison, didn't it? Mm-hmm, I think so. I mean, what put me off Bridgerton was what you were saying, you know, all those sort of bright colours. I just thought, oh, you know, uh, Regency women would never have dressed like that. And I just wanted to turn over. I mean, do you think, I mean, I thought it was interesting that um, they were crowing the BBC or certainly there were figures saying that an older audience had picked up on this, which um, as a contrarianist, I'm thinking, oh gosh, that that is unusual. But w- would they really have been aiming for that audience, do you think? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That Sunday night, you know, sort of classic drama slot, I always think is... I don't know. I think it's a it's a cosy slot, isn't it? It should feel a bit more cosy. I mean, you know, I you know, oh, I don't know if I've got a view on that really. No, no I mean, it seems, be, it, it seems to be they're all about younger viewers. And next minute they're saying, "Oh God, isn't it great that older viewers were watching this?" But if they're going to do that, I mean, the style of it and the way it was edited with freeze frames, black and white shots, will just annoy a lot of older viewers who go, "Well, I don't really understand." I mean, that's a it's a big turnoff, but. I think in the end, um, it probably probably just barely three stars for me. I mean, I, I don't think I'll come back to it. It's just not funny enough. It isn't. It's just sort of smug. And I mean, I think, you know, if you're sort of person that enjoys gossip columns and, you know, the old, in the old fashioned sense about what posh people are doing, you may well enjoy this. But um, it wasn't for me. And I, you know, even though it's all available on the iPlayer now, I won't be back either. No, we're closing the door on Pursuit of Love. The pursuit of love has stopped, yes.
yeah right next up is gods of snooker which um sounds a bit of a dull program but actually i found it completely fascinating and really well told documentary kicking off with alex hurricane higgins are you a snooker fan claire yes of course i mean i was kind of brought up on on pot black uh, in the 70s over here and what made it so such a fascinating documentary was going into the history of, of snooker on television you know how David Attenborough you know said wow colour television's coming when he was controller of BBC2 let's make snooker a thing and um, you know the guy that bought um, international snooker to Sheffield's Crucible as well as the Hurricane Higgins stuff. I think it's a fantastic story about sort of, you know, British, the, the unsexy side of British sport. And hasn't, uh, hasn't the sports documentary come a long way? Does it, it used to be that, you know, you'd have a few, a, a half an hour of a footballer kicking the ball against a post or a back wall and then, <laughs> and that'd be the end of it. But this was told, you know, like a feature film in a way, wasn't it? Really cleverly done. I was, taken in, I didn't know a lot about um, Alex Higgins. I knew he was a sort of tragic figure in some respects, but um, this this really immediately sort of put you at his sympathy, I thought. And, you know, you really wanted to, you were really rooting for him. And then eventually he did have success, but, um, you know, at a cost. I mean, he was a man who trailed his demons, didn't he? That's for sure. Very much so. I mean, I didn't realise that he was playing, you know, with old, much older men in snooker clubs when he, was in when he was a teenager, you know, bunking off school. But, you know, that moment, I, which they showed on the programme where he brought his baby daughter on when he won the World Championship, is just an iconic moment in, in sports television where he's weeping while he's holding his child in his arms. I mean, we'll never see anything like that again because... You know, the snooker players of this generation, they were rough and ready, weren't they? They weren't media trained like the footballers today. This was this was naked emotion. It was just a joy to see it. No, totally. No one media yeah. trained, not really caring anyway. They were playing like they were down the local snooker club, weren't they? Really? I mean, I thought it was great. And I love the I love the, the outfits that was, you know, dressing up in those sort of dinner suits with sort of you know, <laughs> frilly collars and everything just made it look like a sort of bad wedding from the 70s. I mean, I, that, was all, that was all great yeah. as well. But I was completely taken after the sort of first line that Hurricane Higgins said, you can shove, you can snub your, shoot, your snooker up your jacksy. I mean, as soon as he said that, I realised he was sort of someone for us, really. Yeah, you could see there was a man with no sponsorship deal. Um, but that's what made him interesting. I mean, his managers was almost saying he was unmanageable, weren't they? You know, because he would always just speak his mind. And, you know, he did have an incredibly tragic end. You know, he ended up playing, going back to his roots almost, playing strangers in bars for, for drink money. It was yeah. tragic. I think we manage these people better, or they are managed in a in a way uh, w w which they weren't then. I mean, and um, he could have done with a bit of that, but he was married. I mean, I mean, he must have had support there. It was just very tragic. It was sort of a Gaza George Best story, wasn't it? I mean, at least we we still have Gaza going, but obviously, um, very much so. You know, these people, like any sort of high performing person, needs support really. Mm, mm. But it was just great to see all the old, you know, surviving snooker players like Cliff Thorburn, you know, still still having a laugh and being fun and, and sort of remembering. I mean, it's great to see Ray Reardon on as well, you know, with his, with his sort of Dracula hair still in place. That was tremendous. But it was a real nostalgia fest for, for people like me. But I mean, it was just so brilliantly done and so involving and so really human. Uh, yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Looking and forward to the next one. 
four yeah. out of five for me. Four out of five. Very clever of David Attenborough to sort of think, oh gosh, this will make good TV with colour TV. Absolutely brilliant that they did that. Um, and a little bit of steady Eddie, Eddie Charlton, the Australian player who came along shockingly won, I think, a couple of times actually. <laughs> uh, that was brilliant. So we'll be back for more snooker. Um, fantastic. Next up is Motherland, which has returned for, I think, Series 3 at the school gate. And, I mean, this is a great programme. I mean, I, you know, our family, crowd, we're crowd around yeah, the TV. Yeah, Series 3. Yeah, crowd around the TV in sort of old form here and watch this show. I mean, it's pretty much a gag alone, you... isn't it? It is very funny. I mean, I don't have the school gate experience that you do, but does your family, do all your kids gather around and watch the types as well? And, and the parents, to the, is, it a, is it a family show? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, obviously, you know, it's not one for the maiden art, is it? Because there's a bit of language in it. But I mean, one of our favorite characters is Kevin, the sort of put upon stay at home dad that oh, just really can't get into It's poor Kevin. We don't know how to cope with Kevin. I mean, and now now his, his wife, I don't think we've met his wife in it, have we? Or have I missed her? No, I she's one of those great characters that we never see on television, like Maris on Frasier. She's one of those great invisibles, yeah. But so we haven't seen her. And he, it's coming, you know, the marriage is in trouble. So, I mean, what I thought was uh, was amazing about this episode was the way that in the first episode they introduced a, a plot of cancer, which, as we know, we once had an idea called um, <laughs> Everybody's Got Cancer as a sitcom. We thought, you know, you know, it comes in the hospice, wasn't it? Yeah. Come up with the with an idea that's in the most bad taste and then let it run. I mean, but this, that, that was mentioned that she had cancer, but it was sort of completely as if it was normal for the characters. Mm, mm. They responded to it like that, didn't they? Yeah, and I, I always think it's a mark of quality when you get Anthony Head to appear in a sitcom because, you know, he, he played, you know, sort of uh, put upon husband uh, and he was just so, you know, brilliantly dry and brilliantly emotional at the end but it, there was a, there was other uh, illness in in it as well wasn't there because it was almost set up like um head lice was used in motherland and, and what they were really talking about was covid i thought that was really, really clever wasn't it um yeah well, they had well, the two podiums at the start like the uh, government spokesman they were talking about head lice in school that was clever I mean, there was a lot. I mean, they seem to be shuffling the writers as well. But the, I mean, when I saw the writers, I thought, well, they, I can't recognise people like Graham Linehan. I don't know whether he's moved into an executive role or or what has happened. But um, you know, the writing was still absolutely spot on. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't fault it. I thought it was just so funny. And I think everybody in the house has started binge watching it, except for me, really. You know, because. <laughs> I don't, as a professional bin as a professional TV watcher, I can't binge. I mean, that's showing favoritism, isn't it? Absolutely. But as you say, this is a genuinely funny sitcom. You know, it is a laugh, you know, a laugh for life. And the performers are all so great. You know, I mean, see Anna Maxwell Martin not being horrible in a um, in a sort of line of duty fashion. You know, she's got a storyline in which her ailing mother has to move in with her. 
and there was a really touching bit at the end where um, Anna Maxwell Martin's character was being given a head lice treatment by her mother and it all looked rather sweet and domestic. And the mother said to her, Is, isn't this nice? And Anna Maxwell Martin said, no. <laughs> oh, it, was, it was really bit bittersweet and it felt, it, despite the jokes, it feels real, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's another case where a, a really good comedy um, is better with dealing with drama in a way or dramatic situations than an actual drama is. If you set out to do a drama like that, it would probably appear incredibly dull. But, you know, it reminds me of um, mm. Frasier, which um, most of our listeners will have heard of, which which often deals with quite serious <laughs> subjects, you know, as well as... Um, as well as completely surreal subjects. And it, it's funny how really good sitcoms can do that. Funny, peculiar. Mm. And I mean, you know, yeah, and when you've got sort of sitcoms with really strong characters in it, you know, I mean, I love Diane Morgan's character who's, you know, her, her ex desperately wants her to get a job and she turns down a job in a shoe shop um, because it was originally offered to a 17 year old who didn't turn up. Um, I mean, God, Diane Morgan, I love her. And I think they're currently repeating her little 15-minute sitcom, Mandy, on BBC Two, which I recommend to anybody as the funniest thing I've seen in years. She is so fabulous. And this week, she I think she starts... It's, it involves her giving fish pedicures and, yeah, it, it just ends in disaster. But she is just terrific, terrifically yeah. dry. What a performer. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. She's the real co cornerstone of this drama, isn't it? Or sitcom. Mm -hmm. isn't she? I mean, no, she's fantastic. I love that series as well. There's a sort of mad Russian boyfriend in there as well in one episode, isn't there? Oh, it's, uh, it's just tremendous. Yeah, really great. So five stars for that. Absolutely brilliant return for that sitcom. And uh, it was followed we shall rattle straight on by Inside Number Nine. Now, I haven't watched a lot of episodes of Inside Number Nine. I drop in and out of it, which I think you can because it's that sort of thing, isn't it? It's the sort of Tales of the Unexpected, which this really is, isn't it? I mean, this first one was um, sort of weird gangsters in Commedia dell'arte mask, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and it's it can shift tone so much you know I mean it's one of those series it, it's literally un, hard to define isn't it because it's all, all over the place this is one I didn't particularly enjoy because I thought it was incredibly you know self-referential you know you had you know uh, like a crime plot didn't you with all these Commedia dell'arte characters but you had people saying things like oh you know a woman would say to a character, you're not going to die. And the character would say, how do you know that? And the woman would say, because I accidentally turned over two pages of the script at once. And there was a moment where this same character said, oh, you know, oh, made a joke. And then they said, this will go down badly on the cooked and bombed forums. I mean, uh, so I thought, well, maybe that's what they wanted. But I just found it a little bit, I'm going to use the word again, smug. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I mean, I quite enjoyed that just because they sort of telegraphed the fact that it was Commedia dell'arte. I mean, I'm not, I mean, whether people picked up on it or not, I don't know. But I mean, I sort of liked that, and I thought there were there was, there was a good in joke about Miranda as well, and the, and the way that she turns to the camera all the time. So I thought they, were, <laughs> they were then they were then literally turning the whole thing upside down, inside out, weren't they? Say, so, well, look, I'm making a joke about Miranda. She does mm. talk to the camera, which. I used to find incredibly irritating and annoying, but for some reason I was happy. It's only Eric Morecambe should ever do that. 
exactly yeah yeah the the the, the great eric morcom but i but i did like like Gemma whelan's performance i thought she was very good i hadn't seen her in a role like that and i liked the whole gangster thing i mean i just thought um it was like reservoir dogs meets your worst um theater performance in a way but uh, i can mm. see how, i can see how um, there was a sort of smugness to it and I suppose they've got to a stage um, now I think fifth or sixth series where they probably do feel quite superior to the whole thing but I do think it's quite creative as well it's very creative to turn out a one-off comedy like that and and come up with enough ideas I know they I know in a launch that I saw um, they spoke of of how they have to look back to make sure they haven't come up with the same ideas. So, <laughs> but then often these people do just rework the same ideas all the time and, you know, they don't get away with it, but, you know, it's still entertaining. Yeah, and, you know, they get a tremendous cast and, you know, it is arguably one of the most creative series on telly, isn't it? Because every episode is so different. You know, do you remember in the first series, they started off with an entirely silent episode about burglars in a big fancy house. Um, I mean, that takes that takes a lot of balls to do something like that. Um, and it would be really nice to see some younger talent coming through and doing something similar. You know, I'm I'm... I would just love to see another sketch show on television, a really good one. Yeah, absolutely. This is a sketch show, just a 30-minute version, isn't it? Yeah, you're mm. absolutely right. I mean, but I suppose people are not attracted. I mean, if you're, I suppose if you're a talented comedian now, you look to panel shows or you look to other, you yeah. look to other places to earn your money rather than doing scripted comedy like this. I mean, if you came up with that sort of script, it's difficult to come up with that on paper. To have someone commission it, I would imagine that would be quite a stretch. Well, and I mean, imagine how expensive these, the, you know, uh, you know, you look at something like the Fast Show and all the location filming they did. That must have been incredibly expensive to make. So, you know, in this multi-channel TV world, you know, a panel show costs considerably less to make, which is a shame. I mean, I'd love to see something like John Finnemore's show come from the radio to TV, but um, I'm not holding my breath. That is a shame, but uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to give it four stars. You're probably going to give it less, aren't you, I think? I'm going to give it three because I just found it all a bit... Uh, but I, I will watch the next one because that's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's like a box of chocolates, as Forrest, Forrest Gump said. You never know what you're going to get with Inside Number Nine. <laughs> Right, let's move on to the Brits, which returned, albeit with a smaller audience of key workers. And it was great to see an audience at something, uh, if nothing else. And again, hosted by Jack Whitehall, who was again in terrific form. I mean, I, I mean, I don't recognise 99% of the artists. I'm sure you probably know you're a bit more music led than I No, am. no. I mean, frankly, until I watched the Brits, I thought Arlo Parks was a housing estate. So, you know. <laughs> It probably will be. After, it will be now. But after seeing it, you know, I'm a fan. And I think this is, you know, one of the reasons I miss pop music from television. You know, I saw Arlo, Arlo Parks, thought she was great. And I knew I liked The Weeknd and I liked The Weeknd a bit more. And I knew of Young Blood, And I knew about him. And then I got to watch Elton John and Ollie Alexander. Uh, I thought it was a great show. And I, I didn't genuinely expect to enjoy it. 
I, but think I did. Was, I think what was good about it as well was the fact the atmosphere was a little bit more low key. So it didn't get all sort of crazy. But I mean, it didn't, doesn't get, never went really proper crazy. It hasn't done that for years where people have stormed mm. the stage or, or done really sort of <laughs> yeah, no Jarvis Cocker moments, no. But otherwise, you know, I thought that that helped it. I mean, everyone's having a great old time, but we didn't have all the tables full of record executives or whatever you call them now all sitting there. I mean, again, the theme this week has been smugness with things. I mean, that is incredibly smug, having tables full of corporate executives going, oh, thank you very much. I mean, if you didn't have them in tables, I don't think it'd be such an issue. But so the overall tone was was better. And uh, I think Whitehall was able to sort of exploit that a little bit. I did love his line about the O2, which has been as empty as Piers Morgan's diary. I thought that was very good. <laughs> and, you know, I just thought it was very interesting the way he was pointing out that the winners of the international artist categories never turn up for the awards, they always send a filmed message. And I mean, you know, we do understand this year, but I thought, you know, good point, well made, you know, standing up for the audience, Mr. Whitehall. Um, I enjoyed that. And I enjoyed the bit on bit where he bought the, um, the sea shanty fellas on. I thought that yeah. was very funny. <laughs> right. um, um, the, other thing I so, thought, the other thing which was interesting was a bit of a shout out to Little Mix, there you are, um, who won their <laughs> award which had never been won by a female group before. I mean, that was absolutely staggering, wasn't it? I just thought well, that can't be right, but it, you know, it absolutely was. Yeah, lots of top top young female performers, which is, you know, very, very gratifying to see, I think. You know, obviously the tabloids love it because they all look fantastic, but you know, it's, it's great to see so many young women doing well and being awarded for it as well. But, you know, it was an enjoyable show. And I mean, it's one of those things that can go either way, isn't it? The Brit Awards. But I thought it was a good one this year. And given everything that the industry's been through, you know, both television and music, I, I think, you know, well done to all concerned. We're ending on a shockingly positive note for the Brit Awards at ITV. <laughs> Who did, who's thought? But, yeah, I'd give that four out of five, definitely. A solid four. Definitely. And I mean, I... I do find it quite amusing the way they have those grime artists on there and in fact a lot of a lot of it is sort of muted out with audio muted all the time which i think is a good name which i think is a good name for an itv breakthrough artist fantastic yeah it could be the new art it's new arlo parks yeah audio muted brilliant anyway that's our that's us for this week um Anything to add? I did. I did watch a little bit of um, Lovejoy, uh, which has gone on to <laughs> the Drama Channel, <laughs> and I was oh. looking at it, oh, God, this is incredibly. It was incredibly violent. I thought Lovejoy being violent. We have really sensitised ourselves since then. Oh, we like that. Oh, I, I love Ian McShane. I think that's fantastic. I mean, the thing I watched yesterday was I binge watched Holston on Netflix, the series of the fashion designer starring Ewan McGregor. And uh, I found it absolutely enjoyable. You know, typical Ryan Murphy looks amazingly glossy and glamorous. But um, I found this less camp and irritating um, than a lot of his work, which, given it's about an American fashion designer, is quite surprising. But I think it's... It, it's well worth well worth a few hours and each episode is only 30 minutes long <laughs> oh, wow that's great that's great plenty of time to go to the fridge then excellent absolutely lots of fridge grazing but yeah very good very enjoyable all right until next time thank you claire